This is episode number 369 with Stephen Kessler. The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Beautiful. Stephen has been a psychotherapist for over 30 years, teaching both locally and internationally. He is a certified emotional freedom technique expert and trainer and is the best-selling author of The Five Personality Patterns, a simple, clear, true-to-life map of personalities that gives you the key to understanding people and communicating with them effectively. And in this conversation, we chat about the amazing energy healing journey that led Stephen to where he is today, the crucial steps for understanding the five personality patterns and how to identify your own, why knowing your personality pattern is such a game changer when it comes to relationships, and how you can use this knowledge to deepen your connections, which is what we all want, deep, rich, amazing relationships. How to properly guide your children to understand their own personality pattern and to play to their strengths, which is so important. How to help a loved one get unstuck from unhealthy patterns, identifying the core wounds of your pattern and how these insights can fast track your healing the three centers of intelligence and why they are so crucial in our decision-making, the little-known communication tools that will radically improve all of your relationships and turn you into a master communicator, how to consciously navigate your partner's, friend's, and children's personality patterns and become the person who understands them better than anyone else, plus so much more. This episode is for everyone. It is so jam-packed and you're going to get so much out of it. And for everything that we mentioned in the episode, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 361. And now let's just dive in. Let's bring on the amazing Stephen Kessler. Stephen, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) I had strawberries and nuts and yogurt and some dried fruit. Mm, Lovely. I'm so excited to chat to you. You know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. There's a lot of suffering going on in the world right now. There's big stuff happening. I'm so excited to talk to you about your five personality patterns because you say that they can really help you understand why people are suffering. So can you talk to us about these five personality patterns? How did you discover them and how do they affect each person? I did not originally discover these. These different clusters It was first discovered actually as clusters of personality traits or resistances by Wilhelm Reich, who was a student of Freud back in the 1930s. He started writing about these. And they kind of 
got relegated to the backwaters of psychotherapy and energy healing and just sort of languished there for decades and decades while they were eclipsed by the Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and that kind of, of maps of personality. So the Myers-Briggs and Enneagram are obviously the well-known maps of personality. And I actually had learned both of those and was a tremendous fan and student of the Enneagram for like 20 years before I came on character structure. And I was first introduced to that almost 20 years ago in a class on working with energy. And as I began to learn about this, this way of understanding people, I realized that it is so much simpler and clearer and more true to life than the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, that it was just incredibly useful. But there weren't any decent books about it. Decent might be too strong a word. If you've ever read Wilhelm Reich or if you've read Bioenergetics by Lowen, it's pretty dense material. It's pretty hard to deal with. Or if you've read Barbara Brennan's books on energy healing, you know, you really need to be able to see auras in order to, to understand what she's up to. So I saw that we needed something that would be accessible to the general public and to the therapists in general. And that's how I came to put this together. I had been studying in, in class, in energy class, for like 10 years and using it in my private practice with hundreds of people. And that's how I came to do this. So can you break down the five different personality patterns for us? Sure. The main thing to understand about these five patterns is that they arise out of five different safety strategies that a person can use. When you're very young, especially if you're a baby or even if you're still in the womb, you can't really do much physically to try to protect yourself. If some big energy comes at you, you can't do much on the physical level. You don't even, even when you're two and three and four, you don't have much yet in the way of psychological defenses. What you can do is move your attention. You can move your attention and therefore move your life energy one place or another to try to buffer yourself from the difficulty. So the five different ways of moving your attention are you can move it away, you can leave the scene, and that might be leaving your body. It might be physically getting up and leaving the room, but it's somehow just getting away from whatever is disturbing you, distressing you. The second one is that you move towards the person that is upsetting you or towards a person in that scene. You try to connect with them. You try to get them to help solve your problem. So it's, it's a connect, reach out, appeal for help kind of strategy. The third one is you pull your energy in and you send it down in your body, down into the ground below you so that you can kind of hide. You can hunker down, you can let the storm blow over, you can just basically endure what's going on. So you don't completely leave this scene, but you hunker down and you try to just endure it. Number four, you do the opposite. You pull your energy up in your body, 
You try to get as big and strong and intimidating as possible and control the other people, dominate the other people. Now, this is pretty hard to pull off when you're one year old, but it's, a, it's an attention-moving strategy. And the fifth one is that you contract your body and your energy body to try to control the flow of life energy through the middle of your body so you don't feel as much and so you can be a good boy or a good girl and follow the rules and mom and dad will still love you. That's known as the rigid pattern. So these, the five patterns are named for the safety strategies that they use. So the first is the leaving strategy, get out of here. The second is merging, move towards the other person. You can also think of that as connecting. Third one is enduring. You pull in, go down. Fourth one is aggressive. Get big. You know, think Arnold Schwarzenegger here. Fifth one is the rigid pattern. You contract and you, you literally, you get more rigid in your thinking and your feeling and your way of understanding the whole world. So is, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know which one I am. I mean, do most people know straight away which one they are? And if they don't, how do we identify it? Obviously, everybody's first question is, what am I? And the, the question, in a way, arises from our familiarity with the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs and other ways of understanding people that are typologies, that say you are a type, and you are this type, birth to death, this is the essence of who you are. This is different. It's not a typology. It's about what you do, not who you are. So this is what a person does in distress. Who you are is your presence. So you can think of this in terms of, you're probably familiar with lots of spiritual teachings that talk about the real self versus the false self. So the real self or your presence is who you are. Any of these safety strategies buffers you by taking you away from your real self, by taking you away from presence so that it doesn't hurt so bad. So the way you figure out what you do, and a person typically does two of these strategies to try to buffer themselves, you know, first one, and if that's not working, then the second. The way you figure out which ones you do is you watch yourself as you shift from feeling safe, happy, contented, peaceful, everything is fine, to a little annoyed, a little frustrated, a little, not okay, and then a little more okay, not okay, a little more distressed, a little more, you know, whatever, whatever, as your level of distress goes up, you can watch what happens in your body, what you do, what you think, what you say, to try to buffer yourself. And for most people, as as they first discover this, they discover that these strategies are so automatic, so like conditioned into the body, so habitual, so just happens. No pause, no thought, I just do it. That they think of it as that is who I am. I mean, if you talk to people, they'll say, well, that's just the way I am. And some people literally live their whole life stuck inside one pattern or maybe both their patterns and not able to come out and be present much at all. And they will, they will even argue with you and say, no, this is who I am. This is really who I am. Because it feels that, that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I think I might be the one that leaves the situation. I think that might be my one. Yeah, the one that you do. Yeah, the one that I do, exactly. Yeah, I typically encourage people to to use language of this is what I do instead of this is what I am. Because the language we use matters. And if we if we say, well, I am a lever, for instance, you're turning yourself into a thing. If you say, when I get distressed, I go into the leaving pattern or I leave, you are naming what you do, but you're not saying who you are. Exactly, exactly. And our words and thoughts are so powerful. I always say that the universe has ears and it's listening to everything that you say and everything you do. And so if you affirm that you are something, that is what the universe will give you. It's like manifestation. Yes. If you say, you know, I'm an ugly bastard, your unconscious thinks, I can do that. I can do that. You know, I can manifest ugly bastard. And, you know, next thing you know, that's how you're acting. Not so useful. (laughs) Yeah. So what do we do with this data? Like once we have this data, what do we do from here? So what's really valuable about this is that it will help you do two things. One is regain control over your own life. Because in fact, until you understand the map of these patterns and which patterns you go into, your patterns are running your life. We all think that we personally are making our own decisions, but in fact, an awful lot of our decisions are being made by our patterns. Like, should I go to that party or not? Should I date this person or not? Should I buy this car or live in this place or should I get this job? A lot of it is determined by patterns. So one big value is you can regain control of your life. The other is when you understand this map of personality, it will, it's like having x-ray vision and you can, it's like you can see into other people and you can see what's going on inside them and how they got distressed and what they need to come out of their distress. So it will help you interact with other people much more much more skillfully. What about with children? Tell us how, if we see a child going into one of the patterns, how can we help them come back to their true self? Well, first of all, don't get fooled into seeing them as their pattern. Instead, see them as, okay, I see their true self, and they're now caught in this pattern. But if you can still see their essence, their presence, then they can see it. Because as children, of course, we see ourselves through the eyes of our parents. We see ourselves as they reflect us. So for instance, say I'm a little boy and I'm growing up with mom and dad, and mom and dad don't know anything about spirit or essence or heart even, and they're really focused on my outside, my behavior. You know, hair combed, stand up straight, good grammar, clean clothes, teeth brushed, right? Then that's how I see myself. I see, I think I am my performance. And the idea that I am my heart doesn't even occur to me, right? And what a shame. And what a shame, exactly. So, Seeing the child's real self, seeing their presence, instead of whatever pattern behavior they're presenting, 
is a tremendous gift to the child and a tremendous gift to your sweetheart, your brothers and sisters, your co-workers, because we all want to be seen, but we want to be seen for who we really are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I see now how these are different to, say, Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Like I see, and I feel like they're such a powerful thing to understand. And even I'm thinking about my husband and what he does and how could I support him when I see him go into his pattern? How can I support him in that moment? So part of understanding this map is learning about what the core wound is for each of these patterns and what they fear, what they hope for, what they need, even if they're not saying anything about it. So if, you, if you're interacting with someone else and you can see that they're caught in whatever pattern and you know what a person caught in that pattern needs, you can begin to supply what they need without them even asking for it. You also can understand how to approach them. It's sort of like if you think about different languages, you know, English, French, German, right? Say, I know that my friend Pierre is a Frenchman, and I know that he doesn't really speak English very well at all, but I speak French. I can approach him in French, talk to him in French, and he'll get it, right? If it, one of the problems of the of us being stuck in our particular pattern is we think that everyone else is just like us. We're only seeing a, a sliver of the universe, right? We're only experiencing our portion of the whole circle. But we think we're experiencing all of it, and so we think everyone else is experiencing the same thing we are. When you learn any map of personality, you begin to learn, oh, wait a minute, they're experiencing this whole situation completely differently. And we forget that our reality is not the reality for everybody. Absolutely. And this is where an awful lot of fights between sweethearts come from. I'm I'm a therapist. I've had a lot of couples in my office over the year over the years who are having they've got a fight that's gone on for 10 or 15 years, right? And they don't even know what it's about. And what it is is that when either of them gets upset, the person who gets upset then goes into pattern and begins to do their safety strategy to try to feel safer. But it happens that their safety strategy actually makes their partner scared. So their partner goes into pattern and starts to do their safety strategy. But their safety strategy makes the first person feel scared. So now we have an escalating fear thing, and they can't figure it out. It's like a figure of eight. You're going round and round and round. So does each pattern have the same core wounds or no? You have to figure out for each person what their wounds are. Yeah, a given pattern has a fairly fairly narrow set of core wounds. So it's, it's relatively easy to guess. And I've actually, I've been teaching workshops. I, I also for many years taught the tapping process, EFT. I was teaching this to other therapists and I'd be doing a demonstration of, you know, the latest technique we're doing. And I'd invite somebody to come up to the front of the room and say, you know, okay, so what event would you like to clear out? And I am watching 
their body shape, their posture, the way they speak, the, how fast, how, how slowly, what are the pauses, where does their attention go? And I'm getting a pretty good sense of what pattern they might be caught in right now. And then I will say something to them like, well, tell me something. You know, back then, this time you're thinking about in your childhood, did your parents do X, Y, Z? And the person looks at me like I'm psychic, and they go like, how did you know that? It's not that hard to guess. Because the person is, in effect, wearing their buffering technique, their safety strategy. So it's not that hard to understand what are they trying to get away from. Does that make sense? Totally. So what's the first step in healing our wounds? These deep wounds that might be there for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 plus years and generations, they might have been passed down. So how can we heal these core wounds? First step is to just recognize that you have these wounds. And again, most of us are so, so conditioned to it that in many cases, we don't even think of that as a wound. But in reading through the the descriptions of the development of each of these patterns and the personality traits and everything, people often, I, I get a lot of emails from people who go, oh my God, this is like you read my autobiography. Like, how did you know this about me? And it's just that it's, we're pretty predictable. So the first step in healing your core wounds is understanding that you do have core wounds, What finding out what your patterns are and looking at what are typically the patterns, the wounds for that pattern. Did something like that happen to you? And realizing that your, your presence, you are not your woundedness or your safety strategy to try to get away from the woundedness. This is so important. Otherwise, like we said before, especially with your beloved, you're just going around and around and around, triggering each other's core wounds and never getting to the actual root cause of what's going on. I see this a lot. And unless you do the work and heal that wound, it's going to just keep coming back time and time again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the trauma that is stuck in our bodies is much stronger than any kind of decision we make about, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good now. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this instead. Well, when that old trauma gets triggered, you know, you automatically go into that old behavior. It's almost impossible to stop. But if that trauma can be cleared out of your body, you just don't have that. You don't get hit with that wave of energy inside anymore. It's like everything calms down. Now, it's not just one trauma, it's, you know, a fair number. But it's been amazing for me to watch in myself, as well as in my clients, how, how much calmer life becomes and how much calmer your body becomes, even though the people around you are still doing all the things they do, right? All that distressing, triggering stuff is still happening, but somehow it doesn't get you so much anymore. That's the key. That's the goal is to get to that place because stuff is going to happen. Stuff is going to happen. Oh, yeah. Stuff is going to happen. Absolutely. So you talk about the three centers of intelligence. What are they? Yes. Head, heart, belly. 
three different centers of intelligence in the body with three different kinds of intelligence. The head center is really good at thinking, at concepts. Concepts tend to arise in pairs. They're opposing pairs, up versus down, in versus out, right versus left, dark versus light, uh, right versus wrong, right? And your mind is really good at dividing things using these concepts. It's really good at logic and reason. Terrific, um, terrific skills. Very different from your heart, which isn't interested in concepts at all, and it isn't interested in, you know, opposites. It's interested in, who do I love? Who do I want to be close to? It's much simpler. It's like I feel pulled towards this person or I want to get away. Very simple. Totally different skill. If your question is, do I want to marry this person? If you ask your heart, the question is, do I love them? Do I want to be close to them? If you ask your mind, it's going to pull out a piece of paper and make two columns, you know, pros and cons and and that's a useful thing to do, but it's a completely different way of understanding it. So, head is concepts, heart is emotions, and particularly love. Belly is movement through time and space. If you're dancing, if you're doing martial arts, if you're doing a sport, if you're doing anything physical moving through the body, it's a belly-centered intelligence that is running that. If you're driving your car and you're watching, where are all the other cars and are they going to run into me? It's your belly that is doing all that calculation of, you know, speed and angle and motion and vector analysis and stuff. So you see, it's, it's not thinking. Mathematics is up here. Catching a ball is from down in your belly. Loving somebody is from your heart center. And we know that intuitively. I mean, in, in every culture, we talk about love being in the heart, and we sometimes get confused. We think it has something to do with this muscle over here that, you know, pumps blood around your body. That's not it. It's the energy organ in the center of your chest. There, These are energetic organs. Your energy body has energy organs in it and channels just like you have heart and lungs and liver and everything in your physical body. How are we doing on that? Yeah, I love that. I love those three energy centers. Would it be helpful for someone, you know, making a decision whether to marry someone or not to become aware of which center they are making that decision from? They might be in their head and then it's like, okay, I'm aware that I'm in my head making this decision and I want to come into my heart energy and make the decision from there. Like, would that be helpful? Like, how can people do that? Very. It's also helpful for a person to assess which of these three centers is strongest in me and which is sort of second place, and which is third place. Often the third place one is a pretty distant third. It's like, don't use that much, right? But first, I use all the time. So a person who, for instance, uses their head most will tend to use their head intelligence for almost everything, even if it doesn't fit. A person who uses their belly center the most, who's like, this is my, my main center, will tend to use their belly intelligence to answer all questions. Same thing with the heart. 
So this is another situation where having this map and understanding the difference can help you assess which of these is strongest for me, and hooray for that one. Excuse me, which is second? Maybe I could use a little practice on that. Which is third? I really need to practice that one. Because ideally, what we want is all three operating skillfully, fully, and all three in alignment. It takes such a deep level of self-awareness and willingness to look within to do this inner work. It will affect every area of your life and every relationship of your life when we take responsibility and ownership for how we're showing up. It's going to affect all of our relationships. But I would love to hear about some of your communication tools within relationships. I talk a lot about CCC, which is crystal clear communication, because I find that there's a lot of relationship breakdowns when one person is not practicing CCC. They may think, why doesn't this person just know what I'm thinking? How come they can't read my mind? Things like that. So you have a lot of communication strategies, and I feel like they're so important. We're not taught this stuff in school. So what are some of the best communication strategies and tools that you have discovered that we could implement into our relationships? So I, I don't know your CCC way of doing it, but I'm guessing that you're talking about being personal you know, making it an I statement rather than a you statement. I felt scared when you did that rather than you shouldn't do that, right? We can integrate this with the five personality patterns by understanding that people caught in different patterns actually will communicate on different channels. For instance, a person who goes strongly into leaving pattern probably is pretty strong on the airwaves, on the psychic channel. And they're listening there. They might not be listening to the words. Whereas a person who gets really caught in rigid pattern probably is much more interested in the exact words and not really listening so much on the psychic channel. So you see, this is about if you want to communicate with somebody, try putting your message on the channel in the language that they speak. If you can talk to them in their mother tongue, they're going to get the message more clearly. Similarly, a person caught in merging pattern typically will be more heart-centered. You sort of have to be pretty strong in your heart-centered in order to make the merging pattern work for you. So if you want to connect with somebody who gets caught in merging pattern or is caught there right now, and you want them to hear what you're saying or what you're asking them, say you, you have a request for them. So you might phrase it as, would you do this for me? So you make it personal, direct, and a request, would you do this for me? So they get, oh, I can show you that I love you by doing this, right? And people love to help. They love to help and support. Oh, they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they will be much more receptive than if you say, well, you know, there's this, there's this big abstract truth that you should do this. And they're going to go, I don't care about the abstract truth. What about you? No one wants to be told what to do. Nobody. Not even your husband or your wife or anyone. No one likes to be told what to do. 
it becomes an affront to autonomy. So that's why it's much more skillful to say what you want and acknowledge, you know, I would love for you to do this. And, you know, are you willing? Would that be okay? And usually most people are like, yeah, sure, I can do that. Like I said before, they want to help. Because your request is not bumping up against their autonomy. You've already acknowledged their autonomy. You say, oh, I know that, you know, you may want to do this, but you may not. I would love it if you would do this for me. Or it would help me if you would do this for me. And same for children? Sure. I mean, what's different? Well, I'm just thinking like, I mean, you could start using this language with them from day one, because even though they can't speak back, they get it. But until a child gets to be about two years old, their will hasn't really come online yet. Their will and strength haven't come online, so they're not thinking in terms of autonomy. They won't feel that their autonomy is being wounded if you give them an order. If they're only one year old and you say, come over here, they just want to do what you said. You know, it's one of the great tests for this is say you have a toddler who's 18 months old. Up, you know, really into walking. It's great to walk. And they're going somewhere and you look ahead and you think, oh, that's going to be bad. And you pick them up and you turn them and they walk in the new direction, right? They just were walking. And when you turned them, it's not a big deal. But if they're 24 months old or 30 months old, you pick them up and turn them, they turn back. Because they felt like I was going there. You put me somewhere else. I wanted to go there. It becomes a challenge to their autonomy, right? And that's why we have this expression, they're terrible twos, because that's when the kid gets sensitive to autonomy and wants to have their own way, wants to have a vote. Interesting. It's good to know. It's really, really interesting. So how can we really harness and develop this emotional maturity? And how can we get our partners on board? Because maybe one partner is more willing and keen than the other. But obviously, we really do need to develop and flex this emotional maturity muscle. So how can we do that? And then how can we get our partner on board? Well, I think anytime you want someone else to do anything, you have to show them what's in it for them. How is it going to benefit them? And then if they see that, oh, yeah, this will be good for me, I like this, then they're on board. Now, it might just be that, oh, if I do this for you, you'll like me more, and I want you to like me more. That might be good enough for them. It might also be something about, well, if I learn this skill, I will actually feel safer. Or if I learn this skill, you know, people will listen to me more. That reminds me of something we we didn't talk about. How do you get someone in an aggressive pattern to listen to you? There's a skill you need to have. You need to develop a strong sense of your own core and speak from your own core directly to their own core because that's the only thing they'll listen to. If you're not in your core, if you're being all wishy-washy about it, they'll just blow it off because it doesn't register as this is real and true. If you know that about your partner or whoever tends to get stuck in that pattern, then you know what you have to do so that you, when you communicate with them, they'll get it and they'll believe you. 
if you've never heard of that before, you keep saying whatever you want, and they don't pay any attention, and you don't know why. There are things like that with each of these five patterns. And you'll end up banging your head against the wall thinking, why? Why are they doing this? Right. And then either blaming yourself or blaming them, which isn't really useful either way. Yeah, this is really important work. And I can see for myself how understanding this for myself is really powerful than also for my marriage and all of my relationships. What about friendships? Like, how can we open that dialogue with our friendships and really help and support each other? Do you mean in, for instance, in learning this map of personality? Yes. Yeah. Make it a simple personal statement, you know. You can either tell the person, oh, you know, I'm learning this, I read this book, whatever, and it's been really helpful for me. Or you can show them, if you learn this and you are now able to relate to your friend in a new way, a way that works better, they might even at some point notice that you've changed and they might say like, what's going on with you? You're, you're acting different than you used to. I like it. What happened? That gives you the perfect opportunity to say, well, here's what happened. I learned this map of people and I learned how to understand how to interact with you. And I've been doing that and it's been working better, hasn't it? And then they'll inquire. You know, in the Vedic tradition, they always say, wait for the worthy inquiry. You know, don't be that person that's up on the mountain preaching from the mountaintops about these things. It's like, wait for that. Be the example and then wait for that worthy inquiry and then kind of go from there. And be prepared for the fact that just because you're excited about something doesn't mean everybody in the world is excited about it. You know, other people are busy living their lives and they may have a whole different set of problems that they are trying to deal with right now. And they're, the way they're put together inside might not really make them so interested in understanding themselves better. So some people will, will want to know more and some won't. Yeah, exactly. This is a beautiful way to deepen our relationship with ourselves and with others. It's a beautiful, beautiful way to go deeper. And I know everyone wants deep, rich, fulfilling relationships. That's what everyone ultimately wants. What is the biggest thing that you see in your practice, the biggest issue, the biggest block that you see for couples in your practice? Well, let me approach that from a couple of different directions. My understanding of intimacy with another person is that in order to do that skillfully, you first have to be intimate with yourself. That is, instead of being up in your head in your ideas and stories about who you are and what's going on, you have to actually be in touch with your, the raw sensations in your body so that you are getting the moment-to-moment -moment information from your body about what's going on. So that's the first thing, developing intimacy with yourself as the first step to intimacy with another person. And then when you're really in touch with yourself, then you can describe to them what's going on with you, which is completely different from telling them what they should do, right? Which they might not be so happy about. In terms of couples being able to relate better to each other, I think understanding their own habitual patterns, what, which patterns they go into when distressed, 
and which patterns their sweetheart goes into when distressed, and then how those tend to interact gives people an understanding of kind of how to get off this, you know, this wheel, this repetition. Where is an exit ramp from this highway instead of just being stuck there? And even to be able to say to each other, okay, hold on, it sort of looks to me like you just went into XYZ pattern. Does that seem right to you? Brings the person back to being able to check inside. And if they say, see, oh yeah, I did that, then their next question is, okay, how do I get back to being present, right? Or to find it in yourself and say that to the other person, you know? Yeah, it's really powerful stuff. I can even just in my own personal life, like hear how this is going to be so beneficial for my marriage. Because I'm in this for the long run. I'm in this till the end. And there's, you know, you need things, you need tools sometimes to really help you navigate different times in your life. And so, yeah, this is, this is beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. This is not only helpful for my marriage, but I have a bonus son, a 14-year-old bonus son. And I'm also thinking about how I can really support him and help him. So I love this. I love your work. It's amazing. And I've never looked at it from this angle. And it's really powerful stuff. And at 14, your son, stepson, I guess, is just coming into the time in life when he's moving out of the family and into the peer group in school and trying to figure out, okay, how do I relate to these people? And where do I fit in? And what's my place in the world? And how do I deal with these people? And high school kids love understanding these personality patterns because suddenly everything gets clear and they go, oh, that's what's going on with you, <laughs> right? And here's how I can deal with you. And of course, they love knowing it and then feeling superior to their parents. <laughs> what could be better than being superior to your parents? <laughs> but it's real helpful for, for kids in a school situation. Yes, especially that teenage time where there's so many hormones going around their body and there's so many shifts. And yeah, it's so interesting. Like they're going from child to teenager and you have to then start looking at them differently. Like you can't keep looking at them like this beautiful little angelic child. Well, they still are, but they're now a teenager and you have to shift. And it's really interesting. Like just this whole journey. I'm learning so much. Oh, yeah. And you have to respond to whatever age they are in this minute. And it might be different than it was 22 seconds ago. You know, they might have felt like they were 18 20 seconds ago, and now it feels like they're five. And you have to adjust, right? And then they come back to being 18 and they say, well, you know, that's not who I am. Please. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that goes for adults too. I'm sure I sometimes act like a 34-year-old and then sometimes I probably act like a five-year-old as well. I just ask my husband. I'm sure he will say yes. Oh, yeah. It happens to bosses and CEOs and, you know, people in positions of power. What can you do? Speaking of that pivotal time in our life, that adolescence going from child to teenager, it's such an important time in our life. If you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world, besides your books, what is one book you would choose? Because I think yours absolutely should be in there. 
But what is one other book that you would choose? I have not given that any thought. I don't know. I would have to think about that. I haven't taught in a, a high school situation, so I haven't had to think about that. Well, the one that comes to mind as I'm talking now is a book by Thomas Kuhn called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. He's a historian of science, and what he does is demonstrate that what we believe goes through recognizable stages and that the, the old guys who believe the old way of understanding this aren't going to let go of it because they've devoted their whole way to the old thing, like, say, Newtonian mechanics in physics. And then you get Einstein and relativity theory and quantum mechanics coming along, and the old guys are going, no, that's not true, that can't be. It's not until they die and the young people take over <laughs> that a new way of understanding it can happen. And in fact, we're seeing this now in the United States in terms of racism, right? The younger people have stepped forward and said, wait a minute, this racism thing is wrong. We are not okay with this and we want to stop it. Whereas a lot of the older generations grew up just habitually in this and never thought about it much and somehow thought maybe it's okay, right? So that changes happen because new people get born and look at it in a new way. We don't, we get really, really invested in seeing the world the way we learned to see it when we were young. And we get identified with that. And in a certain way, we really need that to still be true. Because if that's not true, then like, what happened to my whole life? You know, I've been, what if everything I know is wrong? That's a very unsettling kind of idea, right? Hmm. I remember for me, it was, I had my awakening, as I like to call it, 10 years ago when I hit rock bottom with my health and I ended up in hospital and my whole life changed from that moment. And I remember being in hospital and thinking every belief that I have was my parents, mainly my dad's. And what do I believe? What do I, Melissa, believe? What is true for me? And it was big. And I wrote down all of these ideas, all of these beliefs that I had. And I literally crossed them out and I was like, no, that's not mine. That's not mine. That's not mine. I believe this. I believe this. And I kind of rewrote my belief systems. And I'm so glad I did it in a younger age because it's changed my life. That is great. Are you familiar with the idea from astrology of first maturity and second maturity? No. So the, the idea is every seven years, a human being goes through a big cycle. And so at 21, we think of a person as being an adult. And we all celebrate, I'm 21, I'm an adult, yay! And then around 28, we have this new discovery, which is, yeah, I've been an adult for the last seven years, but I've been being the adult that my parents wanted me to be not the adult I want to be. Who do I want to be? Right? So it sounds like you hit that a little earlier. But ideally, everybody somewhere in their late 20s goes through that process of, it's sort of like throwing up all the stuff that you swallowed without thinking about it, and then sorting through it and thinking, well, what here is true, and what do I want to live my life around, and 
what is just not true? And I'm throwing that away. Exactly. That 28 years old is the sudden return. You know a little bit about that? Exactly. And then you get another cycle at 56 when the kids have left and the dog has died. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's so interesting. I did know the seven-year cycle thing, but I didn't know it was 21. And then obviously I knew about it at 28. But yeah, that's so fascinating. So yeah, it's really important that we do that work where we sit and we kind of sift through these beliefs and we go, what do I believe? What is important to me? Because then we can create our life from that place and not from someone else's ideas and belief systems. And life gets easier. Our suffering diminishes. I mean, one of the things that, that I tell people about for instance, understanding the five personality patterns thing is that a great deal of our suffering is unnecessary. It's caused by being stuck in our two patterns. And that if we can get unstuck, we will discover that we just don't have as much suffering as we used to have, which is great, right? Everybody wants less suffering. And this is something we can actually do about it. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I feel like there is so much suffering in the world and a lot of it is unnecessary and we can move through it. So I love that. I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Okay. What's one thing that we can do for our health? One thing that we can do today to improve our health? Breathing consciously. There's a a real short centering breath practice that I often teach people uh, to begin with, because there are certain energy skills that a person needs to have in order to be a healthy functioning adult. And this is a a doorway into the the first one, which is core. And the, the practice is simply find your spine. Imagine you can breathe in the bottom of your spine and all the way up, and then down and out the bottom, breathing in through your nose, out through pursed lips. So it goes... Do that a couple of times a day, and you'll find you're developing more felt sense of core, getting more centered, more calm, coming back to yourself. So that would be one possibility. Yeah, I love that. The breath is so powerful. I love that. Thank you for sharing. What's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life, so more abundance in all areas of our life? I think you're familiar with the Abraham Hicks work right? So that's the best understanding of manifesting that I know of. And the, the you know, the, the part in, in almost all the manifesting teachings, whether it's Hicks or, or something else, is that you have to be able to shift your, your frequency to the frequency of the thing you want to manifest. The hard part is doing that shift. And the, the probably the stuff that's holding you back is not knowing the basic energy skills and the trauma that's caught in your body. So clearing out that trauma and learning the energy skills is, is, is a good place to start to be able to manifest more wealth. But if you're just, if you're fantasizing about it, but it's not connected to your body, it doesn't really work in terms of manifesting. It's got to be felt, got to be embodied. Embodiment is a real big thing, as far as I can tell. 
the very first developmental task and one a lot of us sort of skipped over. And then we're trying to navigate through the physical world of time and space, but we're not in the body while we're doing it. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people know they can talk the talk, but are they really embodying what they teach and what they preach? It's so important. We live in a society, in in Western society, developed world, that really values head knowledge much more than embodied knowledge. And, you know, embodied knowledge is stuff like riding a bicycle. Your body knows how to do that. You learned how to do that, and you can just get on the bicycle and do it. You don't think about it. It's different from the multiplication tables. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, embodiment is absolutely key. Okay, the last rapid fire. What is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Practice stabilizing your attention, learning to put your attention one place and hold it there. This is the fundamental practice of all meditation practices or all skill-based practices. If you're learning the piano, you're putting your attention on the keys and your fingers, right? So stabilize your attention and then begin bringing your attention to your heart center so that you're actually holding your attention in your heart center as you go through the day and understanding the people and the situations from there. It's a different view than seeing it from up here or seeing it from your belly. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, so different. This has been so beautiful, Stephen. I'm so grateful for everything that you've shared and I'm really excited to implement what you spoke about and to have conversation with my husband about it and to yeah, work out how we can really support each other with those wounds and those patterns. So thank you for that. Is there anything else you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to chat about? Oh, you know, there's always more. As you were talking about sharing this with your husband, it occurred to me, you know, one day, one way that you can introduce this to your partner or something is if you get a physical print copy of the book, and you just kind of casually leave it out on the table or something. You don't have to say anything about it. At some point, they'll notice it, they'll pick it up, and they'll be going like, what is this? Right? You know, why not intrigue them a little bit? It's like if you want to go on a vacation to Fiji, get a picture book of the Fiji Islands and leave it out on the coffee table. Yeah, you got to plant the seeds. You got to plant the seeds <laughs> instead of, you know, doing a sales job on the person going, oh, this is so great. You're going to love this. Just plant the seeds and let them find it because we all love discovering things ourselves. Exactly. Yes, we do. We do. Children as well. They love discovering things on their own. They don't want to be told. No one does. So yeah, thank you. That's a great little reminder to plant the seeds. And maybe you could even just be listening to this episode and your partner might be walking around the house or something like that. So this is really important work. I want to encourage everyone to grab your book and I'll link to it in the show notes. Thank you for the work that you do. You help so many people. You serve so many people. So I want to know what I and the listeners can do to serve you. How can we give back to you today? Certainly, for those who have read the book or who enjoyed it, a review on Amazon always helps. There is a lot of free stuff 
on the book website, which of course is called the5personalitypatterns.com. So people who want more information can go there. In terms of giving back to me, I mean, my, my goal here is to help this understanding get diffused through the world, because I think it's going to make an awful lot of people happier and decrease the amount of struggle and fighting and conflict and all that stuff. So do what you can to spread the word about it. We will do that. And like I said, we'll link to it in the show notes and your website and everything. So thank you so much, Stephen, for your wisdom, for your work and for helping and supporting so many people with this knowledge. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you too. Thanks for all your work in introducing all your listeners to all this great stuff. I'm sure you have many, many, many people and many podcasts with lots of great stuff. So thank you. You are welcome. Wasn't that awesome, guys? I got so much out of it. I'm so excited to take this information into all of my relationships and watch them grow and deepen. And I hope you got a lot out of it too. And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week. And speaking of review of the week, I want to read this week's review. It is a five-star review from Vanessa Trangolis. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And it's titled, Absolutely Fantastic. And Vanessa says, I've been listening to Melissa's podcast for a long while, and it is definitely one of my top favorite podcasts. Each episode provides its own pearls of wisdom, inspiration, and knowledge. I can't recommend this podcast enough. Vanessa, you angel, I love you. Massive hugs and smooches for you. You are so beautiful. I'm so grateful. And I want to gift you my Wildly Wealthy Meditation as a little thank you. And that goes for anyone who leaves me a review on iTunes. Send me an email to hello at melissaambrosini.com and I will email you my Wildly Wealthy Guided Meditation. And if you want to get my Manifestation Masterclass totally free, all you have to do is leave a review for my latest, my brand new audiobook, Purposeful. All you have to do is leave a review on Audible, email me a screenshot of it, and I'm going to email you over my Manifestation Masterclass totally free. How cool is that? So head on over there now and leave me a review. Thank you in advance. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading them all. And for everything we mentioned today, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 369. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.